Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of The Intelligent Moron with Alex Silva. Feeling a lot better than last week. I think the allergies have finally cleared up. No longer feeling sniffly or sneezy as much as I did last week. Last week was kind of a bummer. It was pretty annoying. It was something that I wasn't able to shake within the first 24 hours. It was a couple days. It was pretty annoying. But, you know, we prevail as strong people do day in and day out, you know. With your when your life is met with adversity, are you just going to quit on what you're doing? No, you're going to keep on keep on going. That's what every you know. That's what it's all about. Do you have the strength to persevere or prevail through the struggle? And I did. No drugs needed whatsoever. Didn't take a single Claritin. Didn't take a single Benadryl. Just kind of toughed it out and said, "No, this ain't happening." And it's not like I didn't go outside throughout that week. You know, I I was outside. You know, not like a whole lot, but you know, a little bit. Here and there. And I was like, you know what? I think it's clearing up. I think that's the good thing about allergies is that when your body adjusts to, you know, whether it be pollen or dust or whatever, it, it takes your body a little bit of time to adjust. But then once it does adjust, it's like, okay, big deal. You know, BFD. I ain't got no problem. I could do this all day. It's just, you know, when those first blossoms bloom or when that first lawn gets cut or you run into, like, some pollen that you can't see, then it's like, oh, a shock to your system. But that, after a while, it's all it's all good. You know, you feel fine and everything is is cool, back to normal. There's nothing better, I think, than feeling good, right? Feeling healthy. And I don't mean by, like, you know metabolically like you got your blood work done and all that and everything's like crystal clear but I'm talking about like not being sick or not feeling weak or not being tired or not being like having fatigue or dehydration you know something you can kind of fix up pretty quickly you know like a couple days ago I was feeling incredible like like I I felt like I, I just felt so fresh you know that feeling when you feel fresh after a shower, right? But it wasn't even really after a shower. It was just like after like a couple of activities and I just felt really good. I don't know what it was, but I had one of those days and I'm like, dude, I got to replicate that like every single day. Wasn't sleepy, didn't need a nap, was fully rested, hydrated, fed, I had a bunch of chow in my belly. Well, not a bunch, but like, you know, the perfect amount. And you just feel good. Yeah, yeah. I feel like more people got to chase that feeling. Because that's a feeling that can't be replicated all that often. By natural causes, it cannot. I feel like it can't be replicated. It's something that's so hard to 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 find sometimes. You're feeling good. Because every day brings new challenges, new activities, new obstacles that could potentially make you feel a little off, 
you know, having to do something that might make you a little anxious, something that may, might make you tired, something that might trigger a sickness, pathogen, allergy, whatever, something like that, that, that you can't really control. You can't really, you know, it's something that's got to be done. You know, like, well, if I do this, I'm going to feel not great. Like, if I go under this crawl space in my house because I need to go, you know, fix something, I'm probably going to, you know, get a lot of dust in my nose and I'm going to be sneezing for the rest of the day. Or if I have to go out and cut this lawn right now, I know that I might come out of it not feeling that great. My allergies might act up or some shit like that. If I have to go and help somebody move, you know, from place to place, I'm going to feel probably sore tomorrow, and I'm going to feel exhausted, and I don't know if I want to feel that. You know, you got to pick and choose, too. Picking and choosing your day-to-day battles and your day-to-day tasks is actually kind of hard, somewhat difficult, because if you're like me, and you like to plan ahead, for your, not just like the, the, you know, the, the week or the month, or, you know, but the day. If you're like me, you take, you know, into consideration of how you're going to feel later that day. Whether you're like, okay, well, I got to go do this. I'm going to feel pretty tired after that. I got to make time for maybe a nap or got to make sure I eat. Got to make sure I take care of this later. Got to make sure I fill out this and do that. Make sure I'm not late for this or, you know, do any of this stuff. I guess that's why they make planners, right? You know, planners back in the day, especially like elementary school, when they made you, when they, not made you, but they gave you a planner to be organized throughout the day, the week, the month, the entire school year, right? They try to drill it into your brain to, to... be organized, you know, write down the classes you have, the homework you got for that class, what you got after class, and they even gave a little bit, little sections for like the weekend, that way you can write down like what you might have to do, what some goals you want to set, and things you, you, you got to remember to do, and I always thought that, man, this is stupid, I'll just remember it, I, I, I can remember stuff, I don't need to be, have something that's you know, written so I don't forget, you know, I'm not going to forget this. Well, you know, now, being an older person, being someone who's, you know, kind of has to, in a position where it's better to map out your entire day, to know what you have to get done and try to block everything, that way it doesn't seem so um, hectic. That way it doesn't seem so um, frantic and and chaotic. Because sometimes if you got stuff that you got to get done, multiple things a day, it can feel like an uphill battle. Like, you know, you got to wake up, go to work, do this, do that, pick this up, um, make this, you know, go take so-and-so somewhere, um do something online, maybe hang out with some friends, do this or whatever. If you want to watch a movie, make time for a TV show, do some laundry. You know, you got to really be ahead of the game 
in terms of what you do during the day. And I think that that makes life, you know, it it kind of puts into perspective of what needs to be done and how it needs to be done. And maybe the most efficient way to get it all done. Like, for instance, back then I would kind of like not care about that. That's why when it came to homework time, I had to like pretty much rush everything and, and get it all done to stay up late and do, you know, kind of, you know, not be that great at time management was not my strong suit back then. You know, when you have a combination, the deadly combination of laziness and bad time management, oh man, you'd be lucky to survive school. You'd be lucky to even get out of like the school year with passing grades, you know. If you didn't have somebody like, you know, back then if you if your parents were like micro parenting you and like parenting over the shoulder and saying like make sure to do this make sure to do that you probably weren't gonna get shit done luckily my mom back then made me like do my homework and shit like up to a certain point and then I was kind of on my own at then because I mean like you know the older you get you kind of get a little bit more organized like when I was a really young kid like fifth grade oh man I did nothing 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 worked for me I wasn't organized I put all the papers and homework and assignments in my backpack but not even like in the binder or folder just like in there loosely in my backpack so whenever I would go into you know home to do it I would just like you bring it out and and hopefully like I can get it done or try my best you know I think about it now when I was you know in school I was very much in like a school mindset of like I just need to you know get this done, that way I could play video games, whatever, or go eat with my friends, or whatever, or make sure I turn it in, something in for class tomorrow. If I have my mindset now, like, this is, depend, like, this all depends, well, like, you know, um, my future depends on it, I might have approached it way, way, way different, but back then, I just saw it as a as a stupid chore that I had to get done, and I what I did did not take it seriously, did not, and I was just like, okay, whatever, I guess I'll do it when I do it, and never really took it all that seriously. Not to say that I was like a bad student, but you know, I definitely felt that I could have done a lot better, and it wouldn't have been that hard to do. I was always in that mindset of like, I'm just not smart enough. To do this type of work. I'm not as smart as this other kid in school. Now that kid just was organized more. He had a better work ethic than I did. And I just didn't really apply. I didn't try. I bet you if I tried. I would have done so much better. But. and I, You know I always felt that I did give it a shot. I guess I just kind of. Settled for like. Just getting by. Just getting by, and and that's kind of how it went down. That's unfortunate. You know, you think about stuff like that, you know, what you could have done better. I, I feel like I, if I could have done school all over again with, like, a mindset of myself right now, I, I, I'm pretty sure I would have gotten all A's, you know? That would have been a cakewalk. A cakewalk, I think. I think so. I think if you were to put me in, like, a geometry class right now 
I would be able to ace that test, like, or class 100%, because I would just try to figure it out the best I can. With the mindset that I have today, I feel like I could do it. I feel like it would be so easy, and I would have no issue at all when it comes to solving geometry questions. You know, if it's if school is the same way as it is today, where you get a lesson in a textbook, and the textbook gives you some examples, and then the examples turn turn into the problems that you have to do for an assignment that you complete on paper with answers in the back of the book so you you know that you're on the right track and you're on the right path, then I, I, I totally think that I could pass like a Geometry 1 class right here, right now. 100%. With my mindset that I have today, I'm, I am a much stronger-minded person today than I was 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you know, 100%. I think I could pass that with ease. I feel like it would take me like two, two, two seconds to get like a full grasp of whatever I was trying to learn like that day. Like say like I was given like a, you got to do these problems that use like the Pythagorean theorem. I'd be like, no problem. I could do it in a cinch. Easily do it. You know, I've been out of school for like, I would about five years I've been out of school. College completed five years ago. Been out of school. Been in adult-minded stuff. And, you know, adult-minded stuff when you got, you know, work and shit. You got stuff to figure out. You're in like a constant problem-solving mode. Depending on like what your job is and how your life is at home, you're kind of in a problem-solving mindset once you get out of school. Because as much as school, you know, gives you, throws you problems like homework and assignments and shit like that, the real-world problems of, you know, paying for shit and, you know, setting up appointments and getting things fixed around the house, maybe your car, stuff like that, um, buying stuff that you probably didn't think that you needed to buy, but have to buy because you need it in order to live. That is, you know, that ramps up to a more serious tone once you complete school and you're not living as comfortable as you did when you were in school. Because, you know, school in America, I think is completely different from school like I would say in other countries like China, where in China you hear, you know, reports and how they're like the top of their classes and like they're like one of the smartest nations when it comes to their youth and drilling them with school. Like school to them is their life, you know. Here, it's important but nowhere near as important as it is in other countries, like, for instance, China, Japan, you know, other countries where they take education extremely, extremely seriously. Like, you could do an assignment here in America, and, you know, the teacher grades it, and she gives it like a 82% out of 100 you got a majority of the answers correct. 
And then, you know, you keep that same kind of uh, trajectory on your assignments. You get like 80s percents, maybe a 70 here or there, a couple 90s percent. You know, you kind of fluctuate in your performance during your homework and all that. You get a couple of projects where you're in groups and maybe let's say you get B's on all those, right? B's, maybe an A once in a while, couple C's, no real bad grades, but you know, you do pretty okay. For the most part, at least when I was in school, you know, it it, it was it, it was okay for you to come home with that, you know, those grades. At least in my household, you know, it wasn't really like, of course, my parents were like, get straight A's or do well. But I wasn't like failing. So it's like DEFCON 1 was like nowhere in question. Like I wasn't even in any any immediate danger of getting like grounded or getting disciplined or going to the principal's office. You know, I was in the safe zone, the safe zone of not being, you know, hounded on by parents or school, but also, you know, not really like saying, hey, good job. Yeah, I was in like the middle range in the middle of the pack. Of course, the people who failed all their classes and didn't do well at all, you know, they definitely probably get talked to from their parents, maybe administration, maybe sent to the principal's office, maybe expelled, yada, yada, yada. That's when it gets real, right? That's when it becomes more of a, of a, hey, you know what? This is probably going to, you're probably going to get held back if you don't shape up. Let's say you don't shape up, you get held back then that's kind of weird, right, socially, because I believe that school is, for first and foremost, a educational, you know, uh, education-first um, experience as you're a kid. Education comes first in that environment. But let's not forget that school is very, very, very social, and so many, so many ways. I mean, like, you could, you, you, you know... I always kind of thought that it was almost like a competition also because not only do you want to perform well, you know, some people want to perform better at certain things than other students. You know, I want to get a better grade than you, or I want to do better on this project. I want to do mine better than yours. That also kind of comes into a a factor because we're human beings, we're people. We naturally like want to compete with one another we want to do better you know but we also want to be social we want to make it fun too because learning in a fun environment is you know i would say always better does it always present uh give you the best results probably not not too sure on that don't have the numbers on me but you know you can still make a you know everybody gets solid grades maybe not all a's but you know pretty well and i think that you know that's what kind of separates us from between, you know, the United States education and the rest of the world's education. Normally, maybe I hear China, Japan, very strict. And when we get, you know, the, the settle for mentality, like, oh, I got to be, I'm cool. Well, that good enough mentality is not really what you need when you face real world problems. Like finding an employment. That's not really not really the best mentality to have. 
Because when you, like, let's say you, like, you know, go to school, you get pretty decent grades. You get a degree because, you know, you, you met the requirements, right? You need, like, that 3.0 GPA. Well, does a 3.0, now, a 3.0 GPA doesn't really, you know, the, the GPA thing, depending on the field that you go into, if you go into something like, you know, finance or, like, yeah, a field that doesn't really require a lot of, like, general knowledge. Like, if you want to become a mathematician or a math professor, you probably need, like, a 4.0 GPA, at least. You know, you got to be, you got to know what you're going to be teaching. It's got to be, like, the back of your hand, right? You got to know that stuff, like, without any hesitation, you need to know everything. You have to. You're going to be, if you're going to be teaching a subject and you need it, and you're going to be going to school for that subject, you're going to have to know it 100%. You know, I've never come across in my entire um, schooling, uh, schooling, you know, his, you know, career where I've come across a teacher that doesn't really know the subject or like struggles on teaching the subject. Never. Maybe one, but she was kind of insane. But, like, besides that, like, I I had no idea. Like, I, I there was no teacher was like, oh, how do you do this? Like, that that never, ever happened. But that was, like, that was years ago, though. I don't know how it, how it is now. I'm pretty sure it's got to be the same, hopefully better. But I, I, I don't really know. But if you were to come across a teacher that kind of knew what they were talking about, I think that there would be a lot of questions. Now, of course, like, as a teacher, you would brush yourself up on the subject, right? If you're a math professor, you're not just going to stop doing math. You you know, you're probably doing math every single day of your life, planning lessons, refreshing yourself on material, making sure you're like, your brain is sharp. And not only do you know how, how how the subject works, but you know how to teach it. Right, I mean, people can know stuff. I I know how to, um, I know how to play video games. I know how to throw a football. I know how to drive a car. But do I know how to teach that to somebody else that isn't like me? That doesn't learn the way that I do. That's completely different. Right, you could know, you could know like the most advanced physics, right? But if you don't know how to communicate and teach it to someone else who is not you, then you f- you're probably gonna fail as a teacher. It's probably just not for you. You probably just have to go into like some kind of field, like some kind of career where you work with a company that uses that subject to to you know build stuff or or do stuff with that you know in that field. Because if you you can't teach it, then you have to do it, right? I remember there was like some movie or some show, I can't remember, that they were roasting somebody because they became a teacher. And I think it was, the line went like something like, if you can't do, then you teach. Like Kind of like making it so like, teachers are kind of like failures. That's not true, for the most part. You can definitely become a teacher and, you know, have fulfillment in that. 
I believe that's possible. Now, the payments, what I've heard, becoming a teacher, like, you're not going to be rolling in, the, in, in cash. So I've heard. But I guess, like, you have to, like, love it. You know, you can't just kind of half-ass it. You have to really enjoy what you do in order to get fulfillment in, in what you do. It's kind of like sports, kind of like, you know, you see it in like, even today, like I love sports. I love watching sports and I, I've seen, I watched sports throughout like 29 years of my life and I've seen different athletes and different sports, different eras. I know I haven't been around that long, but I've, you know, I've, I've been able to see change in the athlete and the sport and how the athlete the change of the athlete has what it's done to the sport. And I think that one of the prime examples you see this is in like professional sports like football and basketball. Though I think those are the main two that I that I watch a lot of and I can kind of see how it's kind of changing, you know. From what I was taught, for what I've known and for what I've like observed how these people, right, these people, like me and you, just way more athletic, get paid, multi, you know, get, get scholarships to go to these gigantic universities, which have all this money because of their college teams, let's be fair, right? Notre Dame is not going to be as bombastically rich in prestige if their football team is not on TV every Sunday during college football season just not going to happen not going to happen with millions of people attending their you know games games throughout the year and even more watching it on tv without the the tv rights and then the and the sales of the tickets sales of merchandise because of that football team Notre Dame is just not going to be as prestigious as it is it's just not going to be and for some people who are so giftedly athletically right to Go to college, hopefully gain, you know, a an education as well, you know, a good education as you play football. But you know that you're super talented, and you probably know even before you sign, you know, to you enroll into this school, knowing that football is going to be your future, that you're good enough to get to the NFL, and to make. Potentially millions and millions of dollars that 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 you know, your parents know, your coaches know that that you have it right. You're so gifted, you're an athletic beast, a monster, right? And then once you get paid that money, I feel like in modern day sports, some of that, you know initial love for the sport that you had that you played and you were so good at right it just came to you so easy you know you're faster than everybody you you understood the game better than anybody you were just blown by other kids back in the day no problem with any of that you get paid this money right you get you get um uh, endorsement deals from Nike, 
you know, you get like a shake sponsored. They sponsor you. Gatorade sponsors you. You get all this cash. You get all this money. And what's your job? You show up and you play football. You go to practice. You watch some film. You play Sunday one one game a week. And you have this much money. I can definitely see like how the love for that sport can kind of go away with all that money. Because now you're put into a a position where I literally have everything. I could do vacation. I could drive all these cars. I could go into this. I, I can buy this house and just live how I want to live. You know, and then football kind of becomes a little more of a second thought because of how much you have. Because at first, you know, you, you don't have much, but the game you play is able to provide you happiness. And we don't get that with a lot of players today where you can see that they love it, love it for real, because not only are they getting paid, but they're so good at what they do. It like their their quality like just never falls. Like Kobe Bryant, like was paid handsomely, but his, his, his the quality of his play never really dipped until he got old and battered. And even then, he like he gave it everything that he got. He tried and tried because he loved to compete. He loved basketball. He loved being out there with his with his team. It was like the thing that he was born to do, and he loved it so much. And then you get people like, for example, like, I don't know if this is completely true, but I remember when Ezekiel Elliott first got into the league. The dude was a monster at running back from Ohio State. He was a monster. People were like, inevitably, he's going to get paid. He's going to get paid a shit ton of money, and he did. He got a very, very, very good deal, you know, Playing for the Dallas Cowboys, great deal. You know, high-ranked player out of college, big name, famous, kind of pretty much a famous guy, very, very, very famous athlete. What happens when he got paid? The quality of his play dropped tremendously. The dude was getting sidelined by Tony Pollard. I mean, look, I'm not going to make assumptions that he doesn't love the game, but maybe the money... The comfortness almost kind of like drowned out his love and wanting to be better because he was already good. He was really good. But he, ever since I think he got paid, he was never really as dominant as he was back then. Now, granted, his O line was probably better before he got paid. But even still then, like, for you to get sidelined by Tony Pollard. Now, Tony Pollard is, you know, very good as well. But, I mean, Ezekiel Elliott was, like, Heisman contender. He was, like, high-ranked pick. Like, I mean, he was, like, one of the better running backs to come out of college in the recent years. Like, just, you know, by, you know, by college play and by, you know, notability, notoriety. And just pure talent. The guy was a monster. It's just kind of weird how like 
some of these players, you know, you see are, are extremely rare and great talents that you think that, oh, these guys love the game. Maybe they don't. Maybe they just see it as a way for them to better their future. Maybe they just care about their image more than how they play the game. You can kind of see that now with the social media era, where players really, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm pretty sure they still like the way that they play, and they want to play well. But, you know, I mean, the name, image, likeness, right? NIL, that's what's being put into college. They're straight up being paid on how popular that person is by name, image, and likeness. And, of course, you know, the the play on the field influences that, right? It makes it better. But, like, how much of that is because you love what you do? I don't know. I feel like professional sports and all that stuff has kind of like, in my opinion, we pay these guys way too much to be playing like a, playing a game. Like we pay these guys so much money to play football, basketball, baseball, whatever. Too much, in my opinion, for like just a superstar athlete, just to be strong and to run a, run on the field, like. Wow, that's you think about it, and you think about it, right? You see these contracts, you're like, Mike Trout got paid how much money for 10 years to hit a ball? Huh? I don't know. Okay, whatever, sure. That's fine. But then it's like, how much do you love playing the game if you're willing to sign a deal like what Mike Trout did with a team that has, like, no real shot at winning a championship, that's another reason. It's like, how are, how are these guys supposed to love competing if they're not even going to compete? They won't even get a shot at competing for the championship because they know their team is not capable to compete at a higher level. So where did the love go? The love for the sport, the love for competing. That's something that you know you don't really think about, but I think is more popular in today's age, probably more than in the past, I would say like the whole thing with social media kind of like brought it all into perspective of, you know, who's, you know, you can kind of see of where the quality of their play kind of where they dipped off. Oh, he got paid. Yeah. (laughs) Obviously that was going to happen. Right. It's kind of weird, you know, just kind of weird to think about, you know, some people you can tell, they still want to win. Others, you can kind of see them coasting. Ezekiel Elliott, to me, just seems like, oh, I got paid. Yeah, cool. I'm just going to ride this out because I'm rich. It's like, damn, man. Shit. And you had so much talent. Probably going to waste now. Like I said, I mean, he was a great running back when he came out of, out of college. You know, out of from Ohio State and... His first couple years in Dallas were freaking crazy. Crazy. After that, just kind of nosedive. I was like, whoa. Not to like hint, like, like be on the negative notes on sports talk, but I do want to talk about the NBA playoffs that are underway at this moment. I do want to give my thoughts on some of these playoff series that are happening at the moment. Right now, we have all the playoff, um, series is going on. Some ones that are jumping out to me at the moment are 
Um, Clippers, Suns. Clippers and the Suns are tied one apiece. And uh, they were just in Phoenix going to L.A. Um, I forgot how good Kawhi Leonard was. Is it because he doesn't play that much because he's hurt a lot? But in the, I don't know. But in these playoffs right now against the Suns, he's been playing great. He's been playing like like Kawhi Leonard from back in the Toronto Raptors days. Like he is like putting it on these guys. And this is a team with Devin Booker, Chris Paul, and even and Kevin Durant. And look listen, I know the series is tied, but still, like, you have to put into perspective of, you know, Kawhi Leonard is doing this all without Paul George. And kind of putting this team on his back you know I know they lost uh you know this the game two but still I mean you can't really you know deny of how good this guy is playing and it's so good to see because Kawhi Leonard you know him being such a quiet dude not making a whole lot of noise about anything kind of keeping to himself I mean the dude barely like argues with like the refs on the court about bad calls or Whatever, right? He never really does that stuff. Just to see him like quietly like like murder teams is like crazy. And it's like seeing that dominance is like so as much as I'm not really a Kawhi Leonard fan, it's nice to see how a player is still capable of doing like incredible things like that. When they're not really you know, at a time he was probably considered like maybe five or four years ago, like considered like one of the top one or two players. These most like recent years, he kind of has fallen off. But like this playoff push right here, these playoff games, he's really stepped up and been like, "Here, y'all remember me? I'm Kawhi Leonard, and I'm just gonna murder you. You can murder this team, whoever I'm playing." You're done. You're donezo. And, you know, you kind of think, you, you, you kind of just like look, sit back and you have to love it because it's so fun to watch. It's so fun to see. That one definitely sticks out to me because that series between the Suns and the, and the Clippers because Kevin Durant got traded to the Suns midseason. And he, now he showed up injured, didn't really, you know, start playing not too long ago, started playing for the Suns after being injured. After tr- being traded from the Nets, which that team, you know, with all those stars, you know, back when they first made that team a thing. Remember that? Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, um, coached by Steve Nash. They had at one point James Harden. They had um I'm trying to remember who else they had. Ben Simmons at one point. And I don't think that they ever suited up with all four of those guys on that squad. I think they even had like Harden, Irving, and Durant on the floor at one at like maybe seven times total when that entire team was a team 
But now that he's on the uh, on the Suns, you know, like I said, with Devin Booker, Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton, this team, the Suns, I feel like that they are pretty much on the verge of like being potentially blown up because of two years ago when they were in the finals and they choked away a 2-0 lead against the Bucks. They've never been the same. Not even close. And the team is pretty much the same. I mean, they got Aiton still, Chris Paul, Booker, um, Durant's there, right? Um, Monty Williams is still their coach. But they haven't really even sniffed, even gotten close of how dominant they were in that in that that whole season in that playoff run. Not even close. So underachieving, and I don't know why. It might have been because I think they gave DeAndre Ayton some like a good contract to stay there. And I remember at one point he was like one of like maybe in contention for like one of the best like new big men in the NBA. And I, and I was able to see it too. Like, dude, this guy is so good. And then the Bucks smacked him across the face, beat, won them, you know, in the finals and just kind of threw them back to reality. Like, oh shit, <laughs> maybe we're not good. Maybe we were just like, you know, surprising everybody. No one really knew how to, um, how to beat us. And we got too hot and then we got close. We kind of let off the steam let off the gas, and then boom, we let that championship chip uh, slip through our fingers. That could definitely be a possibility. But, like, seeing that happen, and now especially with the addition of Kevin Durant, you know, who is, for the most part, for most NBA fans and basketball watchers, is probably the number two rated player in the NBA. You know, some people, I would, I think, would still say that LeBron James is the best player still. And usually most players would say that Kevin Durant is number two behind him. But if you add Kevin Durant to a team that is in contention, I think that it's expected that, you know, he is able to get them to play where they're like, we need to win a championship now. He's built up that built up that repertoire where, you know, I, okay, I might be the second best player in the NBA, but we're good enough with me. We should be good enough with me to get to the finals at least, right? Especially with the team they got now. Even with Chris Paul, even though he's old as shit, Devin Booker is still young, but hasn't really, I think, in my opinion taking that next step maybe that's it maybe that's what's holding him back maybe you know the fact that he didn't step up in those finals and still in my opinion has not stepped up and become like one of the elite players in the NBA despite having a NBA 2k cover not really gotten there yet when I mean there yet I mean like the promised land when you're like undeniably a great player like to me, Kawhi Leonard is like an undeniably great player in in this uh, in this NBA. Like you're not with his playoff performances, his championship 
when it matters, that dude is on. And it is hard to beat him, and it, it is hard for you to, you know, prepare for him. Devin Booker at this moment is, like, not that, really. Not there yet, and maybe that's what's holding him back, is because he is, like, they, like, I don't even know if you would say that he's the leader of that team. Maybe Chris Paul, because of seniority. I mean, like, I think that Durant's presence there also kind of, begs the question, well, who is the leader? Is it Chris Paul or is it Kevin Durant? I would say that it'd probably be more Chris Paul's team than Kevin Durant's team because Kevin Durant just got there. Chris Paul's been there for a couple years. But, like, I think that the Suns need to get really far, if not to the finals, in order for this to, like, work out. Or if they don't get there, even with Kevin Durant, then they got some big questions to answer because it's like dude we Monty Williams we gave you Kevin Durant how are we not in the finals you know that question's got to be you know that that's probably something that's discussed like all the time like hey why are we not fucking winning (laughs) you know um so that's one I like to keep an eye out on because that's one of the more interesting series is out there the Celtics against the Hawks is nothing to me the Celtics are a better team they should win handsomely. Um, the Sixers, the Nets, to me, the Sixers are, of course, a better team. They have Joel Embiid. They should be able to get by the Nets with pretty easy, with 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 ease. Um, that should set up a Boston-Philadelphia matchup next round. But I think the best series that's going on right now is probably one that you weren't expecting to be the best one, but it is, is the Golden State Warriors and the Sacramento Kings. The Battle of Northern California is upon us. It is here. And, you know, I didn't watch much of San Francisco, um, Sacramento at all this season. Pretty much none. No Sacramento. I watched none of their games. And I didn't really watch the first game either because I was, you know, with uh, gaming with some friends, so I didn't really watch it, but I heard it was a great game. And I was able to catch, like, at least a good three quarters of the second game before I had to dip out. But when I was watching that game, I was watching the Warriors, and I was watching the Kings, and the Warriors are old. Like, besides Wiggins and Poole... Like their team is old. Kevon Looney's been there for a while. Thompson, Green, Curry. They've been there for a while. You know, their best, you know, younger players, Wiggins, Poole, like, they got to try to keep up with, like, that entire Sacramento Kings team. De'Aaron Fox, Malik Monk, they're all, like, 25 and younger. Like, like those guys are, like, when I saw that game, I was like, their athleticism is what is the difference maker here. They are just able to beat the Warriors and run by them and just score, have more opportunities at points, and the Warriors can even dream at this point. You know, the Warriors are again; they make threes and make kind of easy shots. the 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 Kings are like battling; they battle hard. They go at you; they run by you. And they're athletic, and they're 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 tough, and they're young. That's one thing I noticed. You can you can see that 
from the tip. Like these guys just have the energy of youth. Like they they are they they're gonna run past you all game. And you can tell. And you know, the Kings being up 2-0 right now, going back to Golden State for games, you know, uh three, four, and five, I believe. They're gonna need that home home court advantage, you know, come in clutch because Sacramento's home crowd has not sniffed playoff basketball in years. You know, they haven't been on ABC, the network itself, for years. I can't remember the number of years it was, but it was like an enormous number. I was I couldn't believe it. Like, you have not been on the network, ABC network, for that many years? And now that I think about it, yeah, why would you be? You were horrible. You guys were so bad. You know, you probably had some, you've been getting some good draft picks like Malik Monk, De'Aaron Fox. You've had some promising with coaches like, you know, George Carl back then, like, oh, maybe he could crack the code. Now you got Mike Brown there, who's like influencing these young guys to really, you know, come together and play for one another, like the beam, you know, play some good basketball. And then, you know, eventually you got a team that's in the, in contention to compete you know, at least to get to the Western Conference Finals, right? If we're, you know, maybe if we get there, the finals. So being able to watch that team, you know, just like completely at some points dismantle the Warriors, who are the defending champions, who, by the way, have a terrible road record. Like their 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 road record, um, has been awful. You know, I don't know if that really translates to playoffs because playoffs are a different breed. You need to win them. Like every game you have to win if you want that championship. Like a regular season, I can kind of, you know, I could see like them not playing well. They needing that boost, right? They're older. Probably not everybody's playing every single, every single game. Every starter is not going to be able to play. But, you know, that's kind of weird how how much they rely on that home court advantage, right? How much it fuels them. But still, like, Sacramento has the youth. They have the athleticism. They also have the talent. And I think, you know, in combination with the coach, too, the Warriors might not survive this series. I'll be honest. So, you know, I think that the the, the Sacramento Kings are going to, are going to, Take out the Warriors. And uh, you know what? As I say that, I could be completely wrong. And the Warriors could be the Warriors and like be like, you know what? We were always good. We just weren't ready to show you yet. And then just like dismantle the Kings in the next like four games and take the series. I could totally see that happening. Totally see that happening. But I think that the Kings are good enough to, to hold off, to fend off the Warriors and make their way to the final, uh, not maybe not to the finals, but get at least to the next round. Last topic for the day, not about sports, but about TV. Time to review The Mandalorian Season 3. What did I think? I gave you a little bit of thoughts last episode of where I was at that point. And just to be clear... When I was talking about The Mandalorian last week, I recorded early because of scheduling purposes. 
So I was at that point, I've seen six episodes at that point. And up until those six episodes, I was not really enjoying The Mandalorian. The story that they have set up about saving Mandalore wasn't really a main focal point. It was kind of a side mission. It was like, yeah, we'll get there, but we got to do this and every other thing. Introducing characters like... Not introducing, but reintroducing characters that you thought that you probably had seen the last of in previous seasons, but come back for, you know, a little bit of world building. But I think that it isn't even having completed the series. The payoff for that wasn't... Did they really need to be in it? I just felt like you could have told it in a much more simpler way to get to the point especially at the very ending of like what you know who 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 what the bad guys what the empire of the rem, the, the the remnants of the empire have been up to the episode 3 with like Dr. Pershing and like the imperial defect really was not necessary now that I think about it and it was really like one of the worst episodes that I've seen in terms of like you know storytelling and like putting in details that'll come back in in future episodes really wasn't like it was for me it wasn't a good payoff in my opinion um but having said my thoughts last week and kind of ripping the show to shreds which it totally deserved it totally deserved to be ripped to shreds at that point the last two episodes were pretty freaking bangers I'll be honest, like, action-wise, the shit stepped up its game. It was done playing around, for sure. Like, we had pretty, some action here and there, but it wasn't really meaningful action, where, like, it didn't feel like side quest action. It felt like, um, it felt like it was, you know, just like, we gotta get through this to get to the main action, and it's gonna, and you know, and the thing is, with all those action scenes, you knew nobody was gonna get killed, you knew nobody was gonna get hurt, you knew nobody was gonna get, you know, have any, you know, consequences from these scenes, these little mini fights and battles, you knew nothing was gonna happen to these characters, and at, you know, a certain point, you can say, like, that's, kind of predictable, and I guess you can kind of say that for the majority of this season of The Mandalorian, it's pretty predictable. Nothing really outrageous happens, nothing really crazy happens, nothing surprises me at all, really, in this this season, which is a letdown for me, because especially the way that season two went about, with the surprises, with the reveals, this season... Pretty much none. Which is good and it's bad. It's good because those reveals, I feel like, are rewarding. The reveals in Season 2 with Ahsoka and Luke Skywalker, I felt also ultimately kind of made sense. But also were pretty good for fan service. You know? You're not just going to put in something for fan service if it doesn't work. I feel like Ahsoka and Luke Skywalker worked. Like, it was like, why not use them, right? Why not? Well, it just made complete sense. And uh, none of that in this season. Kind of a letdown, I'll be honest. Um, And the majority of the episodes were just kind of side quests. 
with very, very little to deal with the main plot. And the main plot, you know, having seen the finale already, um, is, is a nice ending to the season, but nowhere near as satisfying or as, I think, impactful as you thought it was going to be. Because there's so much time in the other episodes where they don't even really mention the main plot that when we complete the main mission in the season finale, it's like, okay, that was nice, but not really impactful, you know? Which I guess is a good thing and a bad thing. A bad thing is because I feel like I'm too spoiled. I was spoiled with season two of Mando where we saw Luke Skywalker, where we sent Grogu off to become a Jedi. And that gets reverted. He's back with Mando. Now he's back to doing his old shit, being cute and floating in that little ball and being Baby Yoda, you know? And uh, I guess that was kind of cool, but it was like more of the same. And I just feel like at this point, in Mandalorian. I think we've had enough. I think I've had enough of Mandalorian. Like, I think that it ended very good. Very strong. But it feels like... At this point... And, and by this point, like, the time period of this whole thing is, you know... Between episodes 6 and 7. Right? It's like midpoint right here. So... As the show progresses, we kind of see how stuff is shifting in the overall Star Wars universe. When it comes to, like, Resistance and First Order, there's some stuff there that, you know, is sprinkled in there. You see the progressions of what's to come in the sequel trilogy. And whether you like that or not, it's gonna happen. I thought it was very interesting of how that was being handled, how it was kind of being, you know, sprinkled throughout the season. It definitely made sense. It definitely was like, okay, I'm starting to piece together what I've already seen from the sequels and how this is kind of connecting and bridging the gap. But the overall, the main plot of the story of Mandalorian season three, kind of bare bones, a little dragged out in certain aspects Important episodes, I feel like, are kind of short. While non-important ones, like the Dr. Pershing one, are too fucking long. Or or Jack Black and Lizzo were in it for... While they were good as their characters, kind of unnecessary. Kind of just like, okay, like, I guess we'll help you. <laughs> what? You know? The payoff at the end for me, wasn't as strong as it. I think it could have been if you focused more on the goal, which is saving Mandalore. That that would have been, you know, there's characters that are introduced in this show that I thought that could have been put in, you know, way earlier to make it more impactful, more emotional, more of a struggle to bring to win back Mandalore. But of course, they had to go for the side quest route again and do that to an extent again that the main story just doesn't feel 
as strong as it could be. I don't know. I just kind of felt like it was good. Like, But I don't know if we can handle another season of the same old, same old shit. Like the same old side quest and we'll bring in this, you know, this big threat again. Or he's back again. Or, you know, this guy, he's alive still. You know, that kind of shit. Um, and from what I've seen, you know, the finale of the show, it kind of ends kind of kind of conclusive like it kind of feels like it's a full-on ending of the of the Mandalorian journey almost in a way there's a little bit of room for you know more stuff but it does kind of feel a little conclusive like it's wrapped it wrapped up pretty nice like even though it wasn't a strong wrap-up it definitely seems like a wrap-up for at least another two years like I don't see them putting out another season next year I'm not sure if there's any confirmation of them already shooting it, if it's already been written. I think it has been written, but I don't know if it's been, you know, uh, if it's being put into actual production yet. But I don't know. I just felt like it wasn't the strongest season of television that last seasons were so good. So good. Um, But yeah, overall, I think I give it like a 7.5. 9 out of 10. Like, it's pretty solid still. Like, it's a good, solid, fun stuff, but no real payoff. Like, like, like the ending of Season 2, like, I don't know. And that's not to say that, that the cameos made the payoff better, but, like, the story itself was just... Meh. It needed to be more epic with the main plots, but it was just lost in these side quests, and it took forever to get back on track, and when it did, it was good, but then just, boom, it ended. It's like, okay, whatever, I guess we're done with that. Um, That's going to be it for me today, people. Thank you for listening, and thank you for watching. If you want, you can like, subscribe, rate, review this podcast. It helps a lot. Make sure you share with your friends. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube at Intelligent Moron with Alex Silva. This drops every Thursday morning. And yeah, I um, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And I will see you guys next week.